Thank you, Kayla. What a great reminder as we begin our service. That promise is that you're never alone. No matter what trials or tribulations you go through, he will never leave you. He is with you through it all. And we have a reason to be thankful this morning. We do want to welcome you to the service. If you're visiting with us today, we want to say welcome to you. And I encourage you before you leave today to please stop by our guest table in the lobby and pick up a guest bag. We'd love to have a record of your visit. And we do that by filling out the care card in your bulletin or you can fill out a card there at the guest table. But we would love to uh, meet you today. So just don't rush out before you leave if you're visiting. But if you're here as East Tellsville family, welcome back. We're so glad that y'all could be back. It looks like a lot of you have joined us this morning. We're so glad to have you here. So glad to have those online with us and those in the parking lot. But um, as we begin our service, I just want to read Psalm 113, 1 through 3. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. And that's why we're here this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand, take just a minute to wave at your neighbor, welcome them to the service, and let's worship the Lord together.
I'm so grateful that he's our cornerstone, aren't you? I'm so grateful for that. I want to read to you. I woke up this morning with the sun shining. Wasn't that great? Shining in my face. It's time to get up. And the Lord spoke to my heart. This passage came to me. It's in Psalms 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let me ask you this. What are you rejoicing about? I'm rejoicing that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm rejoicing that others that I know are with him. What are you rejoicing about today? We have so much to be grateful for. This past week, I got a phone call. The girls I went to school with, their mother had passed away. I want you to remember them this week, Virginia Stevens family, Stevenson family. I remember this 41 years ago. One of her daughters who went to church here invited me to come here the night I was saved. And I said, it's your fault. <laughs> I remember that I can rejoice. And those girls told me we're rejoicing that mom's in heaven today. You know what? I'm rejoicing that somebody gave me an invitation to come here that I might know Christ and be born again and to be saved. That just flooded my soul this morning. I wanted to share that with you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we can rejoice in you. Lord, that our name can be written in your Lamb's book of life. Lord, I rejoice that we can know you and walk with you. And Father, that not only that, that you walk with us. And Father, it is well with my soul because I know you. I want to thank you for a loving Christians who invited a lost young boy to a church that he might be saved and born again. I rejoice that people are rejoicing in heaven today because they know you and we rejoice with them. We pray for the Stevens family. We pray you be with them and comfort them throughout this week. And Father, we pray this morning that you'd bless this time and help us to rejoice and to continue to rejoice this day. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is to be praised. And Lord, help us to rejoice in that today, to remember the many blessings that you've blessed us with. And Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to um, stand with me and turn to Romans chapter 12. The title of this series in Romans chapter 12 has been Authentic Christianity. And verses, really verses 9 through 21 is really about real, authentic, Monday through Sunday, 24-7 living, uh, not only in your church, but in your community, not only in your community, but um, when, you, when you go to work, all these different places, what does Christianity look like? And it's prefaced upon verse 1, which says, Present your body as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice what verse 16 says. Just one verse today. Be of the same mind toward one another. Other translations say this, live in harmony. Which means this, you have two different musical chords, or three, or whatever they are. But somebody can compose that, and you take all these different chords and make a beautiful song with it. Look at how different we are in here. All of us, different backgrounds. We all have different, many of us have different educations. Grew up different. Some of you are from out of state. Some of you are, grew up here and you've lived here your whole lives. We all have different ideas, different political backgrounds, a lot of us. All right? But God says we're to live in harmony. Okay? Live in harmony. If you're born again and you're a Christian, you should be able to live in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as, as much as can be, Paul tells us in other uh, books of the Bible, live in harmony with your neighbors. All right? Live in harmony with believers and unbelievers as much as you can. Okay? But in the church, we have common beliefs that, that we stand on. The other things, Paul says, just live in harmony. He goes on to make this statement too. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Now look at that. You are not better than anybody. Anybody. You're no better than the person standing beside of you. You're no better than the person out on the street. Okay. When, when you come to Christ, you understand what God allows you to see is, there by the grace of God go I. Right? If it wasn't for God's grace, I could be the worst person in the world. Uh, if you have money, you'll go to church with people that don't. Okay? You're no better than that person. Some of you may have a doctorate or a PhD, but you're no better than a college dropout. You're just not. That's what God's saying. He's saying this. Notice again. Do not set your mind on high things. Don't be haughty in your thinking. Associate with the lowly. And then here's the last one. Do not be wise in your own opinion or your own estimation. And what God's saying is this. You may think you're a lot, but you're really not. <laughs> if you want for Jesus Christ compared to him... You're, you're, you're not, what I'm trying to say is this. If you're an authentic Christian, you're not better than other people. Don't think you're better than other people. All right? And sometimes in a church setting especially, you have to agree to disagree when it's not doctrinal issues. Amen? So we'll, we'll see this played out in our church this year when this church has to make some decisions. We'll see who can agree to disagree and live in harmony. And you all have done, been a blessing so far, to be honest with you. I've told you the COVID season is just a season, okay? Thankfully, we hope that we're coming on the down, downward. Uh, the numbers are going down a little bit here in this county, but it's still, uh, it's still everywhere. This church is hosting uh, family care health department. Uh, hopefully, People's Drug will be next doing vaccines. We're going to encourage you to call them to set those up. But, you know, because of what's happened in our church and in the country, we've had to do things different, haven't we? And you've been so great about it. I want to thank you so much. So when I read verse 16, I'm thinking about, man, this church right here, you've done really well with it. So thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. 
Father, I pray that we'd submit to your word and the Holy Spirit's work in our life this morning. Lord, one of the great sins in all the Bible is pride. Being conceited. Being arrogant in your own thoughts. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, many of us here this morning would just eat a little bit of humble pie. And realize that there's only one superstar in heaven and that is you. And everybody else on the same level. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church, Lord, to live in harmony with each other. Never think we're better than anybody else. And Father, understand that it's okay to be wrong sometimes. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Notice, uh, notice the first PowerPoint on the screen. Verse 16 can be divided according to three phrases, which act out in the same Greek root word. If you notice, thrown up there is, is, how, is how it's pronounced. He says, be of the same mind, do not set your mind, do not be wise. It's all dealing with the mind. How you think about yourself and other people. Okay, Only God can change your mind. That we always say only God can change your heart, but only God can truly change your mind. That's why verses 1 and 2 are so important. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One scholar put it this way, Coming to Christ does not mean that you begin to think a little differently from the world. Coming to Christ means that you have a new mind, a new mindset, a new perspective, a transformed way of thinking. One of the most significant changes in believers is the way in which we think about each other. Think about Rome. You had upper class and no class. Imagine these people in Rome. You have somebody that's on the Senate in Rome. They get saved and they're working with a slave in a church. What if the slave is his teacher? There has to be a whole lot of, I'm going to humble myself under what God says to make this work. God would tell them when you come into the church, you're, you're equals. Even in the community, the community don't look at you that way, but you don't think you're any better than that person. This was a whole different way of thinking in that culture. And it is here as well, not so much here as it was then, but just think about that. And, and what Paul would tell us here, the first point is this, live in harmony. Notice, be of the same mind toward one another. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, live in harmony with one another. Look at the words one another, that means us, those of the same kind. Paul is not referring so much to unanimity as he is to harmony. Paul's not saying you have to agree on every decision made by the church, but you agree to disagree because you love your church. As long as it's not a doctrinal issue. Think about this. This church will have some big decisions to make when we fully open back up. I appreciate our deacons, and we meet monthly, and we talk about what do we do next. All right? And you pray for us. Think about some of the decisions. I just wrote some down off the top of my head. Uh, if members use online service to replace in-person worship, will we continue that forever? It's a big decision we'll have to make. You know what I'm saying. What if members of this church decide to stay at home from now on and don't come to church because you can just watch it on TV or on your computer? It's a big decision to make. Think about this. Are we going to continue to worship in here or move back to the sanctuary? Huge decision. You say, that's not a big deal. You haven't been coming to church here long. It is a huge deal. When will Sunday school start back? Everybody's giving me their opinion, and I appreciate it. <laughs> when will Sunday school start back? Don't you miss your Sunday school class? I mean, think about it. Don't you? When the Lord saved me, when the Lord saved me, uh, the person who led me to the Lord who is from this church, he says, you need Sunday school. I said, all right. Everything he told me to do, I did it. Didn't know any better. Went to Sunday school and just loved it. Oftentimes, you get as much out of Sunday school as you do the preaching, right? I mean, you just do. You meet people. 
you fellowship with people. We miss that. That's what God's called us to do. Be in small groups. It's such a wonderful thing. When's that going to start? That's a huge decision that we're going to have to make. Okay? And some people will agree and some people will disagree. You just will. Some people will agree and some people will disagree. That's not a doctrinal issue, by the way. It's just when we're going to start back. Uh, think of this. None of these decisions are matters of doctrine, so live in harmony if God lives inside of you. What that means is this, okay? If, if Sunday school, we open up Sunday school, but we don't do Wednesday nights. I'm so mad I'm leaving. You're very immature. You're very immature, okay? If it's a doctrinal issue, fine, let's talk about it. But if it's something like that, what Paul would say is this, does God live in you? Does God, do you love your neighbor? Do you love your church? Do you really love your church? Then can we not live in harmony, even if we don't get our way? Listen, this is not Burger King. You can't have it your own way here every time. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying this, as much as possible, live, live um, in harmony. One scholar put it this way, there is a wrong-headedness that masquerades as a stand you're taking for, or for, for never surrendering to compromise, but basically it is a stubborn refusal to be of the same mind as others. Paul said this. Listen, this is so important to Paul. He said this to the church at Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, and Rome. Be of the same. Live in harmony. Agree to disagree. Another scholar puts it this way. Paul is referring to a kind of harmony, one author wrote, which proceeds from a common object, common hopes, common desires, and common beliefs and doctrine. Think about that. What time a church service starts has nothing to do with any of those things. The color of this carpet has nothing to do with any of those things. The very date we start Sunday school has nothing to do with those things. We have a common objective here, right? We have a common belief system. We have common things. Uh, listen to what MacArthur says. You may be very different from others in the body, but you have the same object of faith. You have the same hope. You have the same desire to glorify God. This is how the church can be so diversified and yet so unified. Jeff Thomas put it this way. In what ways are you different from other Christians? In many ways. In personality, education, race, gender, age, possessions, interests, and IQs. You can say that about the local church in general. In such matters, we're all different. And that is healthy and essential. But concerning the truths of the gospel, we are not in variance. These, have been these truths have been defined and given to us by God. We are all to believe them and contend for them. These truths unite us like they're far more important than the things that make us different from one another. The stones that make up the church are all different shapes and sizes, but the foundation we stand on is one, and that is so for every single congregation in the whole world over. See, the reason we can disagree on non-essentials is because we agree on the essentials. Look at these things that we have in common. Every one of us here, we have a common passion. That's to glorify Jesus. See the law saved and disciple of believers, right? You remember the baptism service we had? What what had a common passion? Do you think anybody was thinking, well, I wonder when we're going to have Sunday night service? No, you're just rejoicing over the fact that people have been born again and they were baptized. We have a common passion. We see this every year when you go to sporting events. Think about when the Cougars play football before COVID, how different the home team side is. We're all different, right? But everybody has one common passion. That's for the Cougars to win. I mean, y'all have, your passion is so overwhelming that you'll yell out things at the coach about calling wrong plays. I've heard you, okay? You'll yell out at the referee for calling a, a, a bad call, 
Okay, why? Because you have a common passion. People that you don't even like, you'd probably sit near in, in a football stadium just because you want the Cougars to win. Okay, common passion. When you come to church, we have a common passion. That's to worship Jesus. All right? We also have common principles. See, this is where we can't disagree on. We can't disagree on the person of Jesus, can we? Can't do it. You can't disagree on his virgin birth. You can't disagree on his resurrection. You can't disagree on the fact that faith in Christ alone saves. You can't. You can't disagree on that. There's no harmony if we don't believe that. Absolutely, positively, none. If the church made a statement tomorrow that Jesus Christ was not the only way, I would resign that day. Easily. That would be the easiest decision I've ever made in my life. Easy decision. See, there's, there can be no harmony there. Paul's not talking about our doctrine. He's just preached on doctrine for 12 chapters. Okay? See, we have, and what I'm saying is this, if we have a common passion and common principles, there's one God. The Bible is God's word, right? It's inerrant, infallible. It's the only standard of truth in the world we have today. We all believe that. So what time Sunday school starts should not override that, amen? It just shouldn't do it. We have a common person here, and that person is Jesus. Jesus. Listen to the last words of John Brown Haddington. He said, if I never write to you more... Let these be my last words. There is none like Christ, none like Christ, none like Christ, nothing like redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There is no learning or knowledge like the knowledge of Christ, no life like Christ living in the heart by faith, no work like the service of Christ, and no riches or wealth like the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is our conviction as Christians, and that is our unity, and that is what we must keep. Live in harmony. If you have a common passion, common principles, and a common person we all worship, some of these other things we can agree to disagree on. Amen? That's what Paul's saying. Live in harmony, especially when it does not involve doctrine. Notice what Ephesians 4.3 says. Paul was so convinced of this. Notice what Ephesians... He says, endeavoring to keep the unity. Paul says, you don't got to manufacture unity. You have it. Why did the early church have unity? You know what they were preaching? Jesus rose from the dead, and he's the only way of salvation. There was no disagreements on that. None. You were unified, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what happened in the early church is what happens everywhere. Life happens and then people start disagreeing over things that really don't matter. We get proud and we do not humble ourselves. We have to have our way. And then strife Most church strife is not over doctrine. It is not. Most church troubles, if you think about them in this county, very rarely is it over doctrine. It's over something silly where people cannot, do not get their way. They get mad and they split the church. Isn't that sad? It, it reminds me of 1986. Two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. True story. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. Hundreds. Neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. And they had a massive crash and hundreds of people died. Sounds like Baptist churches, don't it? Man, isn't it sad? When that's your testimony in the community, it's not that we glorify Jesus. We're the evangelism center of Alexander County. No, it's they got upset over what time Sunday school is coming back. Live in harmony. Live not only in harmony, but also Paul says this, live in humility. Notice what verse 16 says. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the lowly. Another translation says this, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. 
There again, what he's saying is this, you're no better than anybody else. Regardless of how life has been to you, you're no better than anybody else. Do you think you're better than another person? Think about that. Do you, do you really think you're better than another person? This played out with me when I was in first grade. For a small period of time, we had to go to a bus stop. All right, First grade, my brother was in second grade. And at this bus stop, back then you could leave kids out. You didn't worry about them. You go to work at 6 o'clock and tell your kids, I'll see you at 5. You didn't worry about them. You didn't worry about them. You didn't worry about nothing. We'd be at the bus stop first through 8th graders. Everybody at the bus stop, laughing, picking, cutting up. Now, granted, we didn't have to go to this bus stop for a few months, but guess what happened? It got cold. I remember it getting so cold. And my brother and I would be dropped off at the bus stop. And we didn't meet them over there. Where's everybody at? They call school off. Bus stop. Then we'd see cars pulling up at the bus stop. A lot of moms who stayed at home back in those days brought their kids in the cars. And I remember my brother being so cold. And I'd look in those cars and go, I wonder why they don't let us in the cars. One day, two days, three days, four days, standing there at the bus stop, people staring at you. You're just sitting there shaking. You ever been so cold that your bones hurt? I remember just shaking. And I remember one day... Like it was yesterday. A little girl rolled down her window and said, Y'all want in our car? It's like the fifth day. My brother said, No. And I said, I'd rather die and get in your car. I would die of frostbite before I'd get in your car. Do you think you're better than other people? God taught me a good lesson that day. You're no better than you're no better than anybody. Look, look at what the verse says. Look. Verse 16. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the lowly. I remember we had Marvelous Mondays. You remember those here? We'd, we'd have church on, instead of Sunday night church, we'd have Monday church, and we'd pack it out. We'd get big-name preachers in. I remember there was a guy, I just couldn't wait for him to come. I'm not going to share his name. Preach, he could preach. Oh, he could preach. But you know what? When he left the pulpit, he was one of the biggest, arrogant, proudest people I've ever met in my life. The way he treated waitresses, the way he treated our church members, and how he talked to them. And I said to myself, God, if you ever give me a church to pastor, there's one person I'll never ask to preach. Not because the boy can't preach. He can preach. He's still preaching today. But he just thinks he's so much better than everybody else. That was the sense I got. See, it's one thing to preach it up here. It's another thing to live it out there. Don't, don't, don't think you're better than anybody else. Don't be so high in your estimation. Don't live with a haughty attitude. Don't think you're better than anybody else. One, one pastor asked his congregation this. Will the black man and the white man share a hymn book? Will the doctor and the mechanic laugh together in church? Will the homeschooler and the public school principal care about each other? Will the businesswoman and the mother of six share a cup of coffee together? Will the old man seek to understand the young man? Will the single individual appreciate the marriage conference at the church? Will the empty nesters pray for the single parents? Will the drummer thank the violinist? Will the PhDs be taught in Sunday school by a college dropout? Don't think too much of yourself. Don't be too haughty in your thinking. Be careful to think too highly of yourself. God may just give you some pie to eat. You know where the humble pie came from? In the 17th century... Lords of the manor often held elaborate hunting expeditions. They would camp out in the open, complete with moving kitchens, 
dressing rooms, and libraries. The tents that followed were magnificent, and it was not unusual for the aristocracy of, of Great Britain to have dozens of guests, musicians, and many servants along with them. The servants didn't get any of the meat that they killed, but they got the leftovers, the organs and whatever. Today we call that spam or treat meat, or a hot dog. They just put it all together. The servants were all too happy to be given the remaining organs of deer, known as humbles or umbles. They would cook it in dough and other sweet-smelling stuff, and the servants referred to this as humble or humble pie. And you know what I've seen in my life, my life, and I've seen in the life of others, is that sometimes when you think you're a little bigger than you are, God will give you some pie to eat. Humble pie. It's better for you to eat that on your own than for God to cook it and force-feed it. Humble pie. The, the phrase has changed over time. I'm, I'm reminded of what Walter Cronkite said in one of his documentaries. You remember Walter Cronkite? My and grandpa walked up, uh, I grew up watching Walter Cronkite. He said that at really the top of his fame, he and his wife were out on the river, and they were going in these little channels, and he said he saw some teenagers in a boat come by. They were screaming and yelling. Walter said, hey, hey, hey. And his wife yelled and turned the boat. She said, Walter, are you crazy? What did you think they were saying? He said, they were saying, water, water, there's water. She said, no, dummy, they were saying, low water, low water, low water. Pride. Walter said, I learned a great lesson that day. Look, when it says to associate yourself with lowly or the humble, Jesus said this, I am meek and lowly. Paul wrote this about him. He, he took the form of a bondservant. Stephen Davey put it this way, The Lord pulled a chair up to the table where the servants ate and willingly took a piece of humble pie and ate it without hesitation. Notice these things about Jesus. He was not born into a high-ranking family. They'd say, is this a carpenter's son? He had no special property or wealth when he was on his mission. He says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no special upbringing. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He did not have a special reputation. They said he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then on the hardest day of his life, the Bible says he was despised and rejected, not just by the people, but he was abandoned by his disciples. Jesus. God hates pride. C.S. Lewis said this, Pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. Pride is the mother of all sins. It is the devil in us that wants to exalt itself, as Lucifer did, to the status of God. There was a late German emperor, or I think they called him Kaisers, and after he died, they asked his valet, what type of person was he? Because he was very nicely said. This is what his valet said. I cannot deny that my master was vain. He had to be the central figure in everything. If he went to a christening, he wanted to be the baby. If he went to a wedding, he wanted to be the bride. If he went to a funeral, he wanted to be the corpse. He always wanted to be the center of attention. Do you realize that God hates that attitude? The Bible says this, that whenever God lists the sins that he hates, it says the Bible hates pride. These six things the Lord hates, and yes, seven are an abomination. The first one is this, a proud look. Proverbs goes on to say that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. John MacArthur said behind every sin is an act of pride because we're rebelling against God and we're saying, I know what is right, but for this moment I'm going to be God in my life. God loves humility. Associate with the lowly or the humble that shows humility. That word humility means this. It means to have a correct estimation of yourself. A correct estimation 
of yourself. A correct estimation of yourself. Wouldn't it be good to take a good evaluation of who you are? Jesus said this, Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus set the example in 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, He became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. So we live in harmony. We also live in humility. And then finally, we must live with honesty. Notice what verse 16 says. Do not be wise in your own opinion or in your own estimation. Do not think more highly of yourself than you should. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not be stuck on yourself. Stephen Lawson said, The trouble is the natural man and woman is incurably addicted to themselves. Solomon said this, notice on the screen, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. He goes on to say this, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. This is what one commentator said. In other words, everyone knows the man is a slugger, a loaf, a lazy man, but if he is ever challenged on it and held accountable for it, he'll defend himself better than seven men put together who are known for their oratorics, oratorical skills. Excuse me, I can't speak. He is unaccountable. He is stuck on this impression of himself. He is above correction and beyond rebuke. Pride says this, I have it figured out. I've got this. It's an assertion of independence and self-allegiance and special knowledge. And this is something that Mary refers to whenever God told her she's going to have a baby and she sang that wonderful song. It says, God has scattered the proud into thoughts of their hearts. Think about that. God has scattered the proud into thoughts of their hearts. Lawson put it this way, being locked up in the prison of our own prideful hearts. What a scary thought, he says. This word thought that Mary uses, thoughts in the Greek, has more the sense of imagination. God scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Mary's words foreshadowed what Paul writes in Romans 1, verses 21 through 24, and I'll quote. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He goes on to say this, You will find, if you seriously study Scripture, that outside of the idea of hell itself, there is no more terrifying idea in the Bible than God setting you free to run in the imagination of your heart. One of the dangerous problems with being stuck in the imagination of our hearts is that we will never really be able to deal with the sin in our lives because we're always finding its source in other people instead of looking deep into ourselves for the true issue. Isn't that so true? The biggest problem Jamie Steele has is Jamie Steele. It's not you. It's not my wife. It's not anybody else. It's me. Humble yourselves, the Bible says. Everyone who is arrogant, Solomon goes on to say, in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. It'll be on the screen. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Notice that. God resists the proud. James says the same thing. 
It's all over the Bible. That God will be against his children if they're proud. It's the most unchristian thing in the world, is to be a proud person. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Jesus spoke about this, and I'll close with this parable. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus talking to people, he says, He also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. See, the religious leaders thought they were right because of the way they lived, and they despised just about anybody else. Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Think about the arrogance of that prayer. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the Pharisee was placing his trust in himself, and the tax collector knew who he was. Do you know who you are today? Do you realize who you are? You know the reason that people will not become born again in Alexander County is because most of us are just too proud. One of the common themes I would hear back when I first started going out on visitation in the 90s, I would talk to people, especially men, especially men that were more successful in their life at the time. They'd say this often. It was, it was just, I heard it all the time. I'm good. I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm good. I'm good. Basically what they're saying is, my life's fine. I don't need God. You realize how proud and arrogant that is? How proud and arrogant that is. To say, I'm good. I'm good enough. That's what the Pharisee was doing. And the tax collector wouldn't even look up and says, I, I need the atonement applied to my life. And Jesus said he was justified before the God of heaven. Friends, I would encourage you all to eat a little bit of humble pie. Kind of get a lower uh, evaluation of yourself. And don't ever, ever, ever when you leave this building think you're any better than anybody else. Let's pray together with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you a question. Are you stubborn? Are you standoffish toward other people? Are you stuck on yourself this morning? Are you born again? If you have the wrong answers to all those questions, you have a pride issue. And I would encourage you this morning to eat just a little bit of humble pie. Repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ for he alone saves. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, an authentic, born-again, real-life Christian, Monday through Sunday, 24-7, should never, ever think more highly of themselves than we should. We should never think we're better than anyone else. And Father, we should also understand that in the context of the church, that Lord, it's okay not to get our way all the time. That's what Christianity is. And Father, I want to thank you for the people you've put in my life who humbled themselves enough to reach out to a 20-year-old who was lost, who had a bad track record, but who needed Jesus. And Father, I pray that you'd rise up many like that in this auditorium this morning and those are watching online. Father, it could transform a workplace, a classroom, a home, a church.
if people would just show a little more humility. Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, and we love you today. Father, in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. You have a great week, and you're dismissed.